Hey bubs, welcome back to a brand new episode of Talkin' Snicked, the best podcast there is at what it does, and what it does best is tell you about Wolverine. I am your host, Ryan. Today's episode is a bit of a change to the game plan. Uh, For those of you who are not patrons of mine, then you won't even realize that the game plan changed. But to all my patrons out there, I know we were going to cover Marvel Zombies 1 through 5, but instead, today we are covering a story from the pages of Astonishing X-Men called Monster Island. It takes place in Astonishing X-Men 36, 37, 39, and 41. Now, originally, I had planned for the Halloween episode to cover Marvel Zombies number one, one through five. But I changed my mind for a couple reasons. One, rereading it this month, the story itself was not as good as I remember it being. Perhaps I was just looking back through rose-colored glasses at the past and caught a little bit of that nostalgia for old-time zombie stories, but... For whatever reason, it just didn't grab me reading through it one more time. It is written by Robert Kirkman, which should excite you when it's Kirkman and Zombies. For anyone who doesn't know, Robert Kirkman is the co-creator, writer, and also a big part in the TV series based on his comic called The Walking Dead. So you probably heard of it if you don't live under a rock The Walking Dead is a fantastic series. It's one of my favorites. It's one of the few non-Marvel books that I constantly am reading. I'm not quite caught up. Uh, I think the last story arc I read was The Whisper Wars, but one thing I've learned about The Walking Dead is that it's a quick read, and so I usually let about 10 or 12 issues go by, and then I'll sit down and I'll read them all as, you know, one big helping, because the stories are very quick. Even a six-issue arc on The Walking Dead is actually a really quick read. Something about Kirkman's dialogue, it's so very crisp and clean. There's not really a whole lot of secondary exposition or characters being overly wordy. He is able to just move the story along with with, uh, quick dialogue most of the time. And the artwork itself from Charlie Adler is is it's very simple. It's uh, the stories in black and white, which, in my opinion, is the way zombie stories should be told because there's always a lot of violence with zombies, and it can get a little confusing, a little too much when everything's in full color all the time. So black and white for a zombie story, especially a zombie comic, is perfect. But going back through Marvel Zombies, it's not quite up to par with Kirkman's Walking Dead. Uh, not even close, really. Uh, The story is very simple. Uh, There's really not a whole lot of exposition, again, as I said, with Kirkman's style. Uh, The zombie characters are self-aware. They know they're zombies. They can talk and come up with battle plans. Pretty much, it's the main players from Marvel. It's the Avengers plus Spider-Man, like Luke Cage is in there, Wolverine, of course. Uh, But for the most part, it's like... Ant-Man, well, I guess at this point, Giant-Man is like the main character, along with like Black Panther, but there's not really a whole lot of world building, and there really aren't any stakes. The premise of Marvel Zombies is that 
the Avengers and of course the Marvel characters I just mentioned have all become zombies. We don't know how or who or what infected them. All that we know is that they are currently zombies and they're pretty much out of food. They've managed to, with the use of their superpowers, even though they're dead zombies now, uh, they've managed to pretty much eat. <laughs> they've eaten all the people that are left, uh, except for Magneto, who we see at the beginning as like the last living non-zombie who's out there and he's trying to fight them and he fails. Uh, eventually we learn that there's a little bit more. Uh, apparently this story takes place before Galactus ever came to Earth because at some point the Silver Surfer comes and tells all the zombies like, well, hey, um, this shouldn't come as a shock to you, but your world is pretty much dead at this point, so Galactus is going to come eat it because it can at least serve a purpose and be food for him. Uh, so the zombie heroes manage to kill the Silver Surfer and eat him and like absorb his cosmic powers. And then when Galactus arrives, they're able to eat him. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. Like I said, there's not really a whole lot of world building. That's Eventually they get like the cosmic powers of Galactus and they leave the planet. And that's pretty much it. There's like this weird side story going on with Black Panther was still alive um, and he escapes with the help of the severed head of the Wasp because she found out that Black Panther was still alive, and so she tried to fight Giant Man because she wanted to eat Black Panther, but he didn't want her to eat him. It's Honestly, the story isn't really that great, and the dialogue is kind of weird because they're all zombies, but what's the word here? They're, like, the attitudes of all of them, they don't really have the attitudes of their regular comic book counterparts. They're all just a tad too irreverent in their mannerisms. I don't know. Uh, honestly, the reason why I decided not to go with it, just, you know, despite everything that I just mentioned, I was still going to cover the story, but ultimately it's just not very Wolverine. -y. He is one of the major heroes. And like at the end of the story, only a handful of the Marvel zombies survive and are able to like leave the planet and Wolverine's one of them, but he's not a major player in the story. And he's not really Wolverine. He's just this zombie that happens to be Wolverine. So instead, I chose to cover Astonishing X-Men 36, 37, 39, and 41. It was a story called Monster Island. And it's not the monsters you would expect for Halloween time. It's not vampires and werewolves. It's not zombies or Frankenstein monsters. It's not creatures of the Black Lagoon. It's not the usual characters you would expect in a Halloween story. And it's not really a Halloween story. It has monsters in it, but it's not a spooky story. But it's very fun. It is a fun Wolverine story, and you'll see why when we discuss it. Uh, but I ultimately decided to go with that story. I know that it is all on Marvel Unlimited because the whole, the whole volume of that Astonishing X-Men series, it's the one that began with Whedon and Cassidy back in 2005 or so, somewhere around there, 2005, 2006. And it continued on after uh, both of those men left the book. It went through a couple of, it, it changed hands a couple of times as far as writers go. It went through Warren Ellis and then Greg Pak and then Daniel Way came in and wrote uh, uh, this story. And then eventually Marjorie Liu took over. And I believe she wrote it until the very end, but I can't remember if she wrote it all the way through. Uh, so it was a story that, uh, that changed hands a couple of times, kind of changed 
tone and topic as well. Uh, but this particular story was just a quick one, and it was written by Daniel Way, who, if you continue on with this podcast into next year, is a name that will come up quite often because I will be covering much of his Wolverine work and the contributions that he made to the overall Wolverine mythos. But Astonishing X-Men, I want to say this is Astonishing X-Men Volume 2, since Astonishing X-Men Volume 1 would have been the four issues of the Age of Apocalypse, where Uncanny X-Men was rebranded as Astonishing X-Men for that crossover. So Astonishing X-Men Volume 2, issues 36 and 37. Uh, The reason why it's 36 and 37 and then skips to 39 and then skips to 41 is because at the same time this story was coming out, uh, they were alternating with this other story called Meanwhile that had to do with uh, the other half of the Astonishing X-Men becoming Brood. So that was also a fun story, but ultimately I went with this one because this is the more Wolverine-y story. So Astonishing X-Men 36, written by Daniel Way, pencils from Jason Pearson, inks from Carl Story, colors from Sonia Oback, letters from VCs Corey Pettit, Corey Petit. And the concept of the story is also, like Marvel Zombies, fairly simple. Roxxon Corporation, who is the big, evil, you know, faceless corporation within the Marvel Universe, and I know that there's a lot, but it seems to be like the one corporation that's not run by an evil inventing supervillain. So it's not like Oscorp or Hammer. It's just Roxxon. They are like this international oil conglomerate, kind of like Exxon Mobil, uh, but it's the Marvel version. And they decide that they are there are vast oil reserves on this island that is not a sovereign nation. It's not an island that it's inhabited by human beings or mutants. It's just an island apparently off of Japan called Monster Island. And they decide that the oil reserves under this island are worth exploiting. So they hire this kind of down-on-his-luck, B-list, at best, more like Z-list, supervillain. This is a character that he's just a joke. And it is the character Mentallo. So Mentallo, for those of you who don't know, is a mutant. He is a low-level telepath, and he's really only crossed paths with the X-Men up to this point a very small amount of times, maybe once or twice. I know that at one point he fought against Xavier, which is just a joke, uh, because Mentallo is... His mutant ability of mind control is like Purple Man Light. It's just, he's not very good. He's very low-level. Uh, and he's worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. here and there, but mostly he's just a Z-list supervillain within the Marvel Universe who most often finds himself behind bars. He's been hired by Roxxon to go to Monster Island in order to, I guess, just take it over, claim it for his own, um, so that Roxxon can then begin to drill. But when he gets there, he puts his own plan into place. What he's actually going to do, because there's no government, because there's no society that is set up on Monster Island, he's just going to use his telepathic powers, which are enhanced by this stupid-looking helmet, that he is going to take over the minds of all the monsters on the island and kind of make himself 
the boss and say, hey, guess what? You want the oil that's here? Well, I'm going to ransom this island back to you for $800 million. So that's his big plan once he gets there. In the meantime, we see the X-Men on Utopia. Again, that's the mutant island nation off of San Francisco that was founded by Cyclops and the X-Men as the last haven for mutants. And it is, at this point, the base of operations for the Astonishing X-Men. So the Astonishing X-Men is the team that's led by Cyclops and Emma. It has Wolverine. It's got Kitty and Colossus. It has Beast. And, of course, Abigail Brand is also a big, not member of the team, but a big, important character in this series. And at this point, uh, I believe Storm has also joined the team. But Kitty and Colossus and Storm and Beast and Abigail Brand are up in space. This story focuses on Wolverine, Cyclops and Emma, and Armor. So they're in the danger room, and by they I mean Wolverine and Armor as Cyclops and Emma are observing, and Wolverine and Armor are just tearing through a bunch of brood. The brood is an alien species very similar to the xenomorphs from the Alien movie series. They're just this hive mind kind of insectoid race that infects living hosts with brood embryos that when they hatch, they transform their host into a new member of the brood. So it transmutes them, it transfigures them in some way through their alien physiology that allows them to dominate like the organic, the organic matter of whatever it is that they've infected and transform them into brood who then join the hive mind and become, you know, nameless soldiers. So the X-Men have tangled with them on several occasions, especially this astonishing team, and to hone their prowess in battle, Wolverine and Armor are going through a simulation where they're fighting all of these brood. Of course, in the simulation, it looks like at one point Wolverine himself transforms into a brood so that they can try to toughen Armor up, I suppose. Wolverine is trying to help Armor get better control of her power. For those of you who don't know, Armor is a Japanese teenager named Hisako, and her power is that she can create this psionic exoskeleton around her body, and it is pretty much like a suit of armor. So she has some offensive capabilities with it, as it's very hard. It kind of gives her a pseudo super strength while she's using it, and it also allows her to be impervious to harm, and it's also just really cool looking. It's like this reddish purplish kind of uh, armor that just stays, you know, inches away from her body or so. And she's able to kind of shape it the way she feels. Usually she shapes it to look like some sort of like a samurai suit of armor, kind of something that you'd have seen out of like the feudal era in Japan. In the meantime, Cyclops and Emma are kind of just watching and they're wondering how long armor is going to last against Wolverine. If, you know, Wolverine decides not to take it easy on her and Emma, of course, says, yeah, I think it'll take about 15 minutes or so. Eventually, Wolverine turns to this brood and he's about to attack Armor when she does something that the X-Men have never seen. Like I said, her armor is usually a couple inches away from her actual skin. So she's, you know, maybe five feet tall. So in her armored form, she's, you know, five and a half feet tall. Because it doesn't really, it's not 
huge. It just envelops her at a safe enough distance that if she were to be hit with something, it wouldn't hurt her. All of a sudden, with no warning, it she manages to grow her armor to the point where the armor itself is, you know, 30 feet tall, you know, three stories tall with this little five foot, you know, somewhat petite teenager inside. You know, she didn't know that she had it in her, that she can make it so large. And this is the first time canonically that we see Armor use her abilities in this way. And the X-Men are shocked, Cyclops and Wolverine especially, because they didn't know the upper limits of her abilities. And so to see her manifest her power in that way was very shocking. Uh, But right in the middle of this danger room session, uh, her phone starts to ring. Why she has her phone like on her on her belt during a training session is beyond me and how she gets cell reception in the danger room is beyond me because I can barely get cell reception in my office building and I'm definitely not, you know, 80 feet below the ground in this metal room. She's realizing that it's kind of weird that she's getting a call at this time of the day at, you know, especially when she wasn't expecting it. She can just, she just has this, this bad feeling that she just feels like someone died. And before we can find out what's going on, we actually cut to Monster Island. And we see the Roxxon team who's supposed to secure the island. They've been moving out. They've been trying to fight the monsters off and trying to locate where these oil reserves are so they can figure out how to set it up and, you know, keep the monsters at bay so that Roxxon can come and start to drill. And that's when Mentallo puts his plan into play. As soon as they kind of come across this very first monster, uh, the monster immediately begins to attack. And we see that it's Mentallo. He's finally taken mental control of one of these monsters and is now beginning to enact his plan. But before we can see the monster start fighting all these humans, we cut back to Hisako and we see that she was right. Someone did die. Her mother and her brother. And of course the X-Men... Cyclops, Emma, and Wolverine don't know what to do. You know, they've all of them have experienced the loss of loved ones. They've all been here before, but at this point, they just let her just wallow in despair for a little while. Sometimes when someone close to you dies, all you can do is is crumple to the ground and and let it out. And so the X-Men let her do that. And they, they kind of wait, you know, a few moments just to kind of let the, the worst of it come through eventually cyclops lets her know we're sorry we're sorry for your loss and naturally she has survivor's guilt she's not home she's here with the x-men and she's blaming herself saying you know had i been there i i could have i could have saved them and the x-men just say you know just let us know what we can do to help you so she says i just i need a ride to the airport and cyclops is like no it's we'll take the blackbird you know, through her tears, she's able to squeak out, we, once they're on the Blackbird, Wolverine kind of lets her know, like, I told you that the X-Men are a team, but we're more than a team, we're a family, and when family needs you, you go. And so this X-Men team, Cyclops, Emma, Wolverine, and Armor head off to Japan. So now we go back to the island, we get to see Mentallo putting his plan into place, and this monster, this giant monster, looks kind of like a dinosaur or something, is making quick work of the rocks on team that it's, was sent there to secure the island along with Mentallo. And then we see the the monster itself 
Now off the coast of Japan, I'm just going to go ahead and call these monsters kaiju from here on out. Uh, you know, just large monsters. And this one looks to be like a giant snapping turtle thing, but his shell seems to have all these craters on it. And from the craters, there's like this fiery smoke emanating. So it's a pretty cool looking monster. I would not want to be trapped on this island with something like that. It's a big giant turtle, so it's probably pretty slow. Uh, but because it's so big, even if it's slow, probably faster than most people. And like I said, it's the snapping turtle, so he's got the big sharp teeth and his back with this fiery thing. So the the remaining Roxxon employees that aren't destroyed by this giant kaiju all flee, and Mental is like, hey, don't worry about it, I've got it under control. So the X-Men have arrived in Japan. Hisako is taking a cab to her home uh, along with her father, and the rest of the X-Men kind of go off on their own. Wolverine hails a cab and says, you know, take me to the nearest bar. And in the meantime, Cyclops and Emma just kind of lay back and I guess go with the flow, kind of figure out what it is they're going to do. So the soldiers on land that work for Roxxon are able to contact like the big Roxxon boat. I don't know what it's called uh, and let them know, oh, you know, get out of here. There's these monsters and all that. Of course, Mentallo has a plan for that too. He has also taken control of an underwater beast. It looks like a giant kraken-type monster, and it immediately sinks the boat before it can escape, before it can let Roxxon Corp know what's going on. But unfortunately, Roxxon does know. And so we see there's a meeting of the board of Roxxon and their corporate headquarters in Dubai. Uh, but before we can find out what this meeting is about, Wolverine is in the cab heading to the bar when naturally the cab driver spots something and just gets out of the cab and runs away. And so Wolverine gets out of the cab like, hey, what the heck? And he also sees what's going on. So he gets on his comm or his cell phone or what, and he calls Emma and Cyclops and says, um... I think you're on the other side of the city, so like really quickly, take a look through my eyes so you can see what I see. And in the heart of Japan is this giant fire-breathing dragon. I really feel sorry for Japan, especially all the people that live in Tokyo. Like you live in one of the most beautiful cities on the planet, and you have to deal with earthquakes, which sucks. Uh, and apparently, you also have to deal with giant kaiju all the freaking time. So. That really sucks. And that is how number 36 ends. We go right into 37. Uh, but before I tell you what's going on, the creative team doesn't necessarily change, but some of the players uh, swap out. We have Daniel Way still writing, and we still have pe pencils from Jason Pearson, but now we also have co-pencils from Sarah Pacelli. Same thing with the inks. It remains Carl's story, but also co-inks from Sarah Pacelli. Sonia Obak still on colors, but now we have letters from VCs Joe Caramagna instead of Corey Petit. So uh, a couple additions to the creative team here as the series continues. So Astonishing X-Men number 37. This is Monstrous Part 2 or Monster Island Part 2. So naturally, while Wolverine is waiting for the other two X-Men to arrive, he has suited up as well as beard up. I don't know what he's drinking. Uh, it looks like a local beer, which 
Uh, I've had Sapporo, I think, is the Japanese beer that I've had. Very good. Uh, it's a rice beer, not a wheat beer, and it's very good. I like it quite a bit. It's no Fat Tire, which is my favorite beer, uh, but pretty good. So he downs a couple of his favorite local beers and lets the X-Men know that he's in position and he's just waiting for them to arrive. So the X-Men arrive in their own car, not sure where they got it or how they got it. I'm sure Emma probably just used her mental powers to just tell one of the people, hey, I need your car. Or, you know, they just found one abandoned in the heart of Tokyo as all the Japanese citizens flee from this, like, giant, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like, 12-story tall dragon. So while this dragon creature is attacking Tokyo, Hisako and her father are heading off to, well, the funeral for her mother and her brother. And she's telling her father, she's confiding in her father, that she blames herself, that if she had been there, that she could have saved them. But her father points out, you know, that had she been there, she may have also died and that he would be alone. So they arrive at the Ichiki family home. And before we can see how Armored is able to deal with her grief, we are taken back to the action of the story, this fight with this, you know, 12 story tall dragon. So Cyclops and Emma are hiding behind like a, what looks to be just like a commercial truck with a big storage compartment on the back, looks kind of like a moving truck. Uh, but the dragon spots them and unleashes his flame breath, his fire breathing breath, and they're able to hide behind this truck but they're pretty much oh, like they're about to die pretty much i mean they're about to be engulfed with flame apparently not only is it fire but it's also acid so it's starting to burn the truck away which like they're seconds minutes maybe at best away from you know being roasted alive uh, but luckily wolverine is in position he is at the top of like the tallest building on the street and he just jumps down and digs his claws right into the neck of this dragon who freaks out naturally as as you would if something dug its claws into your neck and it starts just walloping wolverine here with its tail of course its tail is also spiky and it cuts open wolverine's back and it smashes his head against its own neck and you know wolverine is is uh he's not doing too well so he just kind of lets cyclops know okay scott i'm you know i'm ready when when you are and so now that this uh dragon thing is distracted cyclops is able to let loose with just a massive optic blast it knocks the dragon back you know blocks at a time and the dragon smashes down onto the street and the force of the impact is so big that he falls you know tens of feet 20 30 feet underground emma and cyclops start approaching this you know this massive crater and emma's thinking well it, it can't have been that easy and then of course she just hears wolverine telepathically saying it ain't move and the dragon rears its head again, you know, it's climbing out. All that this optic blast did, it didn't phase the dragon one bit, it just really made the dragon mad. So then we cut to Roxxon Corporation, and whoever is in charge, I don't know if he's in charge, if he's the CEO or what, but his name is Brewer, and he receives a call from Mentallo, and Mentallo is letting him know that the island will now be ransomed for 800 million dollars and if the Roxxon guy doesn't pay him that money then what is happening in Tokyo will happen to Roxxon and so they 
turn on the TV to see what's happening in Tokyo, and they see that it's under attack by a monster. So now the, uh, I guess he's the director. So director Brewer is like, well, crap. Now he's between a rock and a hard place. He can either pay the ransom and get the island, or he cannot pay the ransom and have his company destroyed like physically by a bunch of monsters. So now we go to the funeral for Armor's mother and brother, and we see that she's having a hard time with it. She's, it's you know, survivor's guilt. She's blaming herself. What could she have done to stop it? You know, she's blaming herself. Her father tries to tell her, you know, that it's a great tragedy and that the family needs her. And she, she gets up and she walks away. She says, I can't do this. She thinks her father blames her as well because she blames her. So she's projecting her own feelings about herself onto others and assuming that they also feel that way. And her father just tells her, like, you know, you're being selfish. So she walks away. She goes into her house and she sees other members of her family are watching the news of this dragon attack Tokyo. Her father comes in and says, you know, Hisako, now is the time to stand with your family. We cut back to Mentalo, who sends like a dragon off to Roxon to pick up his ransom money. Of course, the director is really not very happy. He sees that the X-Men are fighting this dragon, and so he sends some of his Roxon special ops people that are based in Tokyo to go assist the X-Men so that they can kind of nudge the X-Men in the right direction and say, oh, by the way, if you think this guy was bad, there's a whole island of them and more might be coming. So it kind of just lets the X-Men know that Mentallo is on Monster Island and will be sending more monsters after this one. So the X-Men realize that this monster is kind of acting under mind control. They realize that they can't kill the monster, and they're trying to figure out what to do with it when, of course, the dragon thing, this monster, attacks them and like knocks them off of this, what looks to be... Um, like a high-rise parking lot, like maybe a parking lot that's on top of an office building. While they're up there, the monster hits the building, kind of making the building collapse, and the X-Men fall off. And as they're falling off the building, they're caught in a giant red hand, and we find out that Armor is there. She has arrived in downtown Tokyo to fight this giant dragon because, well, the X-Men can't. And she has channeled her grief into her mutant abilities, and this her armor is even bigger than we saw it before. Like I had mentioned, it was like maybe 30 feet tall in the danger room. Well, now it's almost as tall as the dragon. 80 feet, 90 feet, 100 feet, you know, 10 stories, give or take. And that is the end of issue number 37. Of course, 38 is the first story of that meanwhile story arc that I was telling you about. And so we will go ahead and actually skip over to Astonishing X-Men number 39 to continue Monstrous Part 3. And again, we have a changing of the guard. Daniel Way still writing the story, but now it's penciled by Nick Bradshaw. And then we have inks from Nick Bradshaw with Norman Lee, Jay Leaston, and Craig Young. And this time colored by Rochelle Rosenberg. And this time... uh, not only do we have Joe Caramagna on letters from VC, but also VC's cowls. 
Uh, it doesn't give his, his or her first name, so it just says letters from VCs, Karamania, and Cowles. So a couple more names have left the book, and a couple more have come on to continue this story. The X-Men are there. They're watching Armor take on this dragon, and they say, Okay, Armor, now we have a new goal. Here's what we're going to do. We need you to take the lead against this dragon thing. We are going to try to uh, subdue him with minimal collateral damage. So you take that, and the the rest of us X-Men will go ahead and flank this dragon. And while the X-Men are trying to come around and flank the dragon they realize that well armor actually has it under control by the time they get into position to flank the dragon armor has fought the dragon all the way to tokyo tower and has used her strength that she has while in her armored form to like peel off the metal or the steel of tokyo tower and just kind of like wrap it around the dragon as a prison so this dragon has been like tied up with all the steel of Tokyo Tower, and the X-Men kind of realize, well, huh, wow, she's, not only is she more powerful than we originally thought, she's even more powerful than we thought she was after we already saw her in action in the danger room. In the meantime, while the X-Men were getting in position, the three, you know, the triumvirate of leadership here, Cyclops, Emma, and Wolverine, were discussing her mental state. Wolverine kind of thinks that She's channeling her grief in a way that is very unproductive and that maybe she has kind of developed a possible temporary death wish because Wolverine can kind of tell that she blames herself. He actually says something, uh, you know, we need to make sure she knows she ain't alone. Make sure she knows all of us have stood over a grave and wished it was us down there instead. And it makes sense, you know. Emma has suffered through the loss of her Hellions, and it's kind of what made her rethink her stance and become a good guy. And it's part of the reason why she became one of the head headmasters for the Generation X team at the Massachusetts Academy. Obviously, we know that Cyclops has buried his parents, so to speak, and Jean Grey multiple times. Uh, he's also suffered loss. At this point, he witnessed Xavier die at the end of Messiah Complex. You know, all of these characters have lost. Wolverine obviously has lost many people that are near and dear to him throughout his life. They're kind of having this discussion of, of what's going on with Armor, but, you know, obviously she's part of the team and she's part of the family, so they're going to take her along. After subduing the dragon, they decide they're going to go after Mentallo on Monster Island itself. So the team arrives at Monster Island, Wolverine, Emma, and Cyclops, along with Armor. As they make their arrival, Mentallo spots the Blackbird and sends his monsters to attack. So first up are these weird bird-looking things. They look almost like hippogriffs, but they're not part horse. They're just these giant birds that also have like these claw-like arms. You know, one of the one of the X-Men, I believe it's Armor, says, you know, gross, what are those? And Wolverine's like, they're called Screamies. So, okay, well, thanks for that exposition. I guess they're just like these harpy-type bird things that fly in a giant flock, and they swarm over the blackbird. They start taking out its landing gear, and they start moving in on the windshield and the wings and stuff so that the blackbird will, you know, fall out of the sky. So now they have to try to crash land on this island. Cyclops is trying to 
maneuver the ship to crash into this large, rather smooth looking island, but as they are not island mountain, but as they approach this mountain, it moves and it's like this giant gargoyle of a mountain. Like it, it looks like Goliath from gargoyles. Emma kind of puts her own plan into action. She's like, Scott, you need to get in the back and, you know, brace yourself for a crash landing. Wolverine can heal. I can turn into a diamond. Armor has her armor, but you don't really have anything. So you need to go back there and brace yourself. And he gets back there and Armor's just, she's laying flat on her stomach with her arms in front of her and her feet back and her head up like she's flying. You know when you were a kid and you were pretending to be like Superman or Wonder Woman and you'd like lay kind of off the side of the couch with your feet back and your arms forward like you're flying. Well, that's what she's doing. And Cyclops is like, what the heck are you doing? Assume crash. Oh, and he realizes that she's she she's projecting her armor. Her armor has now enveloped blackbird in its entirety and as they start flying into this giant gargoyle type thing uh, her armored form has protected the entire blackbird it flies right into the like stomach of this beast and just smashes it down to the ground kind of smashes it into like a bajillion little rock pieces luckily the blackbird is able to land somewhat safely. I mean, it still lands upside down because as she hits the ground, her armored form kind of tumbles over. And because the blackbird's inside, the blackbird also kind of flips over. Uh, they realize that uh, both armor and Cyclops survive the crash, obviously. Uh, but Cyclops has like broken a couple of ribs because of the impact and all that. Uh, they realize that armor is like awake. Her eyes are open. She's breathing her vitals are all fine but she seems to be like comatose like she's just in shock from having burned out her system using her mutant abilities like this uh, emma frost decides to reach out to her mentally to you know just make sure that that's what's going on but she's like almost immediately she's interfered with by mentalo who seems to be giving her this psychic feedback so the x-men come up with a plan armor is comatose someone needs to stay and protect her cyclops isn't really in condition to travel so he will stay back and protect the blackbird and protect armor and you know try to heal a little bit as best he can wolverine and emma because they are impervious to a degree uh, will go out and try to figure out where mentalo is and beat him uh, to make sure that these monsters don't attack anyone else so they leave the ship they go on their mission before, uh, but not before Wolverine and Cyclops exchange some words outside where Emma in her diamond form, unable to use her tele uh, telepathy, also won't be able to overhear him. And that's when Wolverine tells Cyclops, well, Cyclops actually asks him, like, uh, do, you, do you think she's trying to kill herself? And Wolverine's like, well, you know, maybe not. Emma kind of had a point last time I brought this subject up. You know, I think that she just burned herself out you know she was using all of her abilities and i think that's that's what it was and so emma and wolverine go off on their mission to track down mentalo and put a stop to the plan in the meantime we find out that mentalo is kind of just sitting there waiting in his cave to hear from the roxon guy uh, director brewer who does reach out to let Mentallo know that his courier has arrived, which is another dragon, somewhat smaller, uh, to get his money, his $800 million, uh, $800 million worth of bearer bonds. So they 
send just a giant shipping container full of bearer bonds with this dragon out to Monster Island. In the meantime, as Wolverine and Emma try to scout through this island to figure out where Mentalo is, they encounter this two-headed ogre-looking creature that is also able to shift its size. So it's you know really big when it needs to be. It's really small when it needs to be. Emma and Wolverine have no choice but to run from it. While they're running from this monster, they come across a cave and they figure, well, it's the best we can do is hide in this cave. At the very least, it will have to shrink itself to come in here, and then the two of us should be able to beat it. Uh, but as they get into the cave, Wolverine picks up a scent that they realize is Mentalo's scent. So they're like, oh, well, might as well follow this if the monster follows us in here, so be it. Uh, but let's track his scent to find him. And as they come around the corner in this cave, not only do they discover Mentalo, but he is there surrounded by just like 20 monsters. And there's all kinds of weird looking things that mostly just look like strange variations on dragons and lizards and that sort of thing. But there's a couple other, there's like a lobster looking one in here and this, you know, blue devil kind of looking one. And he just, you know, Mentalo is waiting for him and it's just like, oh, hey. And that is the end of number 39, and it says to be concluded. So that takes us right into number 41. Again, we're skipping Astonishing number 40 because it is uh, the the final issue of a different series, a different story called Meanwhile, which had to do with uh, the other X-Men team becoming brood. So we get to Astonishing X-Men number 41, the... Art team has shrunk a little bit. It's kind of down to, you know, one person doing one thing. So again, script from Daniel Way, art by Nick Bradshaw, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters from VCs Joe Caramagna. So the art, that's the pencils and the ink, both done this time around by Nick Bradshaw. And it's a little bit crisper than when Pearson and Pearson and Pacelli we're on there. It's a little bit different than when it was Bradshaw and Pacelli. It's him doing the pencils and the inks. And so the inks themselves are also a little bit more crisp and it shows, you know, it's not necessarily better artwork, but it's definitely crisper and cleaner. The first couple issues were um, a lot more looser, thicker lines and things. This is a little bit more focused. And of course the issue starts off with the classic Z level villain speech which is even worse than a Bond speech. And pretty much he tells the X-Men, you all thought I was a joke, but who's laughing now? Now I'm controlling all these monsters and you guys are my captives. Anyway, gotta go get my money. And, you know, Wolverine's like, wait, hold on. This this whole thing was about money? That's all that it was for? And he's like, yeah, What else, why else would I have taken over all these monsters? Well, you think I just want to be evil? He's like, no, I just, all I want is money. He starts to leave you know, because he has to go pick up his money. He leaves his monsters in charge of the X-Men. Uh, and by the X-Men, I mean just Wolverine and Emma. And he leaves. <laughs> and I love when he leaves. Uh, he just, like, he ends his evildoer speech with toodles. He's just like, like, it actually says toodles in the script. So any villain, Z-list or not, who says, you know, his, his who ends his villain monologue with toodles is uh, an A-list villain in my book. So after he leaves um, X-Men, uh, X-Men, yeah, after he leaves Wolverine and Emma uh, decide, well, now that he's gone, we can go ahead and break out of here. 
Wolverine's like, that's right, the plan is for you to escape and run away, and all the monsters will follow you, and in the meantime, I noticed some explosive back there. I will go ahead and blow up this cave so that he can't come back and use it as a base of operations, I guess. So now we go to the Roxxon company, and we see that the board of directors has arrived, and they are firing Director Brewer, so it sucks for that guy. It turns out that the explosives weren't placed by Wolverine. He actually noticed that they were placed by Mentallo. And so Mentallo escapes to the surface of the island, I guess, you know, and he sees his dragon flying back with the rocks on shipping container just full of his $800 million worth of bearer bonds. And once he gets to the surface, he clicks a little button and the ground starts to rumble and shake. And he's thinking, aha, I've blown up the X-Men. I blew up all those, you know, filthy monsters that I didn't really want to be around in the first place. And he's laughing at how great of a criminal mastermind he is. And he's patting himself on the back. And naturally, Wolverine climbs out of this chasm and says, you know, you think you're a criminal mastermind, but really you're just a friggin' joke. And by the way, that rumbling sound you hear, yeah, that's not your explosives. I deactivated them, you nitwit. Uh, it's the cavalry. And so all the monsters have now appeared, and they're like surrounding Mentallo. And he's like, yeah, you're right, my cavalry. Wolverine says, uh, nope, you're actually wrong about that, too. So she had actually, once she ran away and had all of them behind her and knew that Mentallo wasn't really paying attention to them anymore, she was able to stop being a diamond for the split second enough to free them from Mentallo's mind control. And so she, unfortunately, has to go back into her diamond form to make sure that he doesn't get control of the monsters back to make them attack her. But while she is transforming back into her diamond form, she distracts Mentallo long enough and she says, you know, like, hey, Scott, now's the time. And all of a sudden this optic blast just comes out of nowhere, like right on Mentallo's chest, knocks his helmet off, shatters everything and just knocks him to the ground. And we find out that the whole plan this, this time would be for Cyclops to wait until he was strong enough to... I guess bring the he brings like the Blackbird's cloaking device and he brings armor along with him. They've been like following Wolverine and, and Emma this whole time so that they would have like an ace in the hole kind of deal. So that's is I mean like that's that's pretty much it. Um, the X-Men kind of have a little talk with Mentallo here. We get some funny moments from Armor, you know, a teenage girl waking up and hearing Cyclops saying that she was heavy to carry. Obviously not all that fun for her. Mentallo thinking like, ah, you destroyed my helmet, but I didn't need that. And then he quickly takes control of Cyclops and like lets loose with an optic blast. But of course, Cyclops figured that would happen. And Emma had already turned into her diamond form, which is able to like ref refract and reflect the optic blasts and was pretty much able to knock it back into Mentallo enough to um, distract him and turn back into her human form and like purge Mentallo from Cyclops. And like they, they pretty much knew uh, that that would happen. And Mentallo realizing that he doesn't have any way to stop the X-Men, he just runs away. And he comes across a rogue monster, starts using his mind control to like make this monster go to sleep 
but without his helmet, he's not powerful enough to control more than one monster at a time. So the monster who had retrieved his bearer bonds and is bringing the shipping container back has now spotted him and is no longer under his control and just drops the shipping container right down onto Mentallo. So he is just smushed like a spider under a shoe. He's just smushed. And the X-Men are like, meh, well, we're not going to lose any sleep over that. They repair the Blackbird and they leave the island. They realize that Armor had, in fact, been dealing with some grief and that it would be best to return her to her father in Japan. So they drop her off so that she can spend some time with her father. She realizes that her father, in fact, hadn't been disappointed in her now that he's seen her on TV he realizes that she is a great hero and that she didn't let those who depended on her down. And he lets her know that she has brought great honor to the family. That's enough. Like she needed to hear that. She needed to know that her father doesn't blame her for the death of her mother and brother. And that's enough so that she can also, you know, forgive herself for not being there, that she shouldn't be blaming herself either. And it ends, it's like this really heartwarming end. We just get like these last two pages and the final page is just a panel of her dad holding her in her arms while both of them weep. Uh, and it's it's a really heartwarming ending. Uh, it's part of the reason why I ended up going with this story. Armor is like one of my favorite X-Men characters. I know that she's not been around for a long time and she doesn't really get her due hardly ever. Uh, but I love Hisako and uh, she's one of my favorite of like the Wolverine sidekicks. So this was a fun moment for her. It was a great moment of her as a sidekick for Wolverine. We get some great Wolverine moments and we get some fun monsters. So like I said, not a spooky story, but overall just a fun monster story and worth discussing for Spooktober. So Bubs, check it out. If you have Marvel Unlimited, I know that it's on there. The entire run is. Uh, so 36, 37, 39, and 41 of Astonishing X-Men. Go check it out. I'm not sure if it's collected anywhere. Perhaps if uh, all of the Astonishing X-Men had been collected in trades, that you'd be able to find it there or track it down in singles, whatever it takes. Uh, but definitely, definitely worth checking out, especially if you're an Armor fan or a Wolverine fan. So, Bubs, before we end out the show, I do have a couple of announcements. This is our final episode of October. It's coming out on Happy Halloween. So happy Halloween to all of my followers worldwide who will be celebrating Halloween on this wondrous Wolverine Wednesday. Next month, Thanksgiving here in the U.S., uh, it is a holiday month, and Thanksgiving is always the final Thursday of November. And the day before Thanksgiving is usually in the U.S. the busiest travel day. A lot of businesses are closed. It is a day to be spent with family, and therefore, I will be taking that week off. There will be no new Talkin' Snicked on November 28th. So the final Wednesday in November, November 28th, I will be off. There will be no Talkin' Snicked. So next month, there will only be three new episodes, and our theme is old people. I can't really give away more without giving away all the topics, uh, but it will be dealing with Wolverine stories when Wolverine 
is a senior citizen. So we'll just keep it at that. Bubs, if you like the show and want to see it continue to grow, there are a couple of things you can do. First and foremost, tell a friend. If you like the show, chances are it's because you like the X-Men, specifically Wolverine. And if you do, you might know someone else who does. So let them know, if they don't already, to listen to the show. They can find it on Apple or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, or any of the other third-party apps or web browsers or whatever that will let you listen to podcasts. If you want to go above and beyond, you can rate or review the show on any app that you use that allows you to do so. I am a rated show now on Apple Podcasts, uh, so go ahead and rate and review the show there if you'd like, or anywhere else. Uh, If it's an Apple Podcast review, chances are I will see it, and I may even read it on the show. So some additional recognition for you as a wonderful listener. If that is not enough, you want to do even more, there is a way. You can check out patreon.com slash talkinsnicked and join the Talkinsnicked community. Patreon, for those of you that don't know, is a platform that allows you to fund through monthly, I guess monthly contributions, this show. And if you do, there are certain rewards that you are entitled to. It's not just you blindly giving me cash. It is you joining a community and getting something in return other than this podcast. So check it out, patreon.com slash talkinsnicked. Bubs, if you've liked the little snippets of music, then make sure you stay till the end and check out the track Back from the Dead. It is a Talkinsnicked exclusive, and it was written and recorded by Retcon X, a very talented musician who creates original music inspired by the X-Men. Links to his Spotify playlist and his website in the show notes. Make sure you check it out. He's got two full-length EPs. He has a single that was released in celebration of the Dazzlers' return to X-Men comics, and he is currently working on something that should be released if you are listening to this on release day, Halloween, uh, today. So he has teamed up with Adam Reck, who is a co-host of another X-Men podcast called Battle of the Atom. I recommend you check it out if you love X-Men. But the two of them have collaborated on something special, and all of us should get to hear what that is today, release day. Until next time, Bubs. <laughs>